Hi everyone, it's Camille and Louise here, your host of the Feminist Book Chat Paris, a podcast that explores the many faces of an intersectional feminism through literature. Not that I agree with the statement, the future is female, but moreover the future has no gender. I cannot agree with the future of female books is at the second shelf. A fabulous bookstore, Lou and I had the chance to stop by and meet with founder Alison Devers during a weekend trip to London. Open in November 2018 and located in the heart of Soho, in a renovated, well-hidden courtyard right next to a lovely coffee place, the second shelf is not just a regular bookshop, but much more of a complete concept matching the love for books and the value of raising the, the voice of female authors. Yeah, just to continue, uh, the bookshop offers over 3,000 rare and antique books, modern first editions, manuscripts, as well as rediscovered works by women, ranging in price from just £5 to over a 1000 Alison makes sure everyone can find something they want in there. From collectible and signed editions of literary classics and modern first editions to experimental and avant-garde poetry. The second shelf is a gold mine for avid readers or collectors. In order to know more about this place and also its founder, who has gone from studying archaeology to book dealing, we ended our first day of London interviews, sitting in this comfy, wooden and paper-mixed history and mystery place we can only recommend you visit. So, hi Alison, thank you so much for taking some time and welcoming us into your beautiful bookshop, The Second Shelf. Um, so, we know that the name of the bookshop comes from a 2012 Meg Wallitzer essay, yes. uh, where the author refers to, quote, that close-quartered lower shelf, where books emphasising relationships and the interior lives of women are often relegated. Correct. However, for some of our community who may not be aware or familiar with your bookshop, um, could you briefly explain to us um, the concept of the bookshop, because it's pretty unique, and also your driving motivation for opening a feminist bookshop? Absolutely. Uh, I opened the second shelf in uh, late November of 2018 and uh, signed a lease uh, only a month before. And we opened right in time for Christmas. And I didn't know I was going to be opening a bookshop really up until I signed the lease. And it was quite a surprise. I had planned, I'm a rare book dealer and writer, and I had planned on being a rare book dealer who went to rare book fairs, who went to literary festivals, did pop-ups where I could, and sold online. And um, I, it's sort of a surprise that I'm here. I got offered a space for a good rent, and I decided to take a risk and try to make it a brick-and-mortar store. Um, but the, the concept and the inspiration for the store was that uh, I was an arts journalist writing for a lot of different publications in America before I moved to London, which was three years ago, um, and writing about literary history, writing a, a lot of pieces for different publications, including one called Fine Books, which is the glossy magazine in America that comes out quarterly about the rare book trade. And they would send me contributors' copies. And after a few years of writing for them, I started reading the contributor the magazine a lot more and got really interested in rare books. And I met a woman in my neighborhood who's a friend who has a, rare bo a wonderful rare books business, very, very um, beautiful selections of books, uh, her name is Heather O'Donnell and the bookstore is called Honey and Wax and she's uh, set up basically a, an online shop and goes to rare book fairs. So anyway, I started going to the rare book fairs that she was set up at to see her as a friend and 
I just really loved being in the rare book fairs, but I also noticed something really quickly in the rare book fairs, which was that most of the uh, most of the book most of the people at the fairs in New York City were men, and most of the sellers were men, and most of the collectors and buyers were men. Not exclusively, there were many female dealers, and there are also many partnered, like married couples who deal books, but. I just noticed that there was an enormous amount of books on the shelf that were male and the more I I did know that like the rare book trade actually has a, a reputation for being sort of an aging sort of field with a lot of guys in it mm-hmm. of a certain kind of background and interested in old maps and uh, but I didn't really know how skewed it was and then I, I started pulling books off the shelf by women at that fair and the books by women were a lot less money on the whole with some exceptions than the books by men. And I thought, well, this is just evidence I of sort of something I had learned in publishing. Um, I worked in bookstores, and I've been around as a journalist. I've worked and been a book reviewer and all of that, and just seen like how women are treated in publishing with gendered covers, and yeah. uh, how w- women, contemporary women authors, sort of lose their careers as they age, and even before they die, people sort of don't canonize them the way that male authors are considered like young literary geniuses. Women tend to not get treated as young literary geniuses. Everything about like the treatment of women writers strikes me as gendered and um, uh, as Meg Willitzer points out in that essay, like domestic novels are treated as lesser than great big novels. And I just like, it was like kind of like, I just was in that moment. It was before people always say, oh, good timing because of me too. And I just think that that's, it's like, it is a time where people are focused on women in a new way and there's a feminist movement, but I actually started thinking about the business like before that. And there's always a, it's, it was good timing all the time to think about inequality. Definitely. Um, but the fact is, is that people are maybe paying a little more attention or happy to see positive uh, change. So I basically thought, well, if I was a rare book dealer, I would like to focus on books by women and see how I could do that. And I didn't really know I was going to do it, but I started to, I started to really think hard about it. I'm I was a like a like a you know a freelance writer not making a lot of money, uh, had been doing it for a long time, hadn't sold a book, kind of like wondering if I was going to be able to do it forever. I like a lot of people in media, like you kind of like have like low moments and you look at other ways. I was te- I was adjunct professing for not a lot of money and not that I thought that rare books would necessarily be lucrative, but I got really interested in it and so I was engaged by it and I thought, well, I see something here that's happening in rare books that actually like I understand about what's happening to women who are writing today and I don't want it to keep happening to women so what what could be done um, to highlight women in the trade and since then I've learned that there are a lot of women book dealers and there are a lot of women book dealers who've dealt in books by women but typically like the history of it is that their history is not told there's not an oral history or tradition of like knowing each other uh, the, there's a term for men in the trade called bookmen and they call each other great bookmen they refer to each other as bookmen and they um and they tell each other the great stories of the great book sales and the great like discoveries and and they kind of tend to leave women off of the page um, and so those women's stories weren't known to me or even a lot of women in the trade. I keep meeting women who are like, I just learned about this book dealer from like the 40s who's a woman. You know, like there's just not a history that's really like visible. So since then, I've sort of like been educated that like what I was trying to do wasn't necessarily totally new. But I do think that like what the second shelf does as a brick and mortar store is um, focus on, I think in, in the past, like a lot of the women focused 
book dealers and today have focused have been categorized by the trade as women's interest and i'm really trying to push back on that idea and say that these books are for everyone they should be collected and valued the same and you know also women should be in the trade and also women should be encouraged to collect absolutely like that's the conversation we've had throughout the day and that we have in our book club sessions like that in that inclusivity that diversity and having um, a mix of people doing the thing yeah. you know feminism is not just for women uh, the book uh, dealing uh, uh, world should not be just for men because right. otherwise it becomes very narrow yeah. and as you say like it's fantastic part of what you're doing well all of it's fantastic but part of what you're doing is ensuring that in the future um women are more visible and yeah. they're not forgotten because yeah. of course that still there's happens yeah and, and there's so many ways people are contributing to that right now um and it's nice that there is more attention i think um happening about this i mean even since i opened there have been several like um dealers more visible dealers or more established dealers who've issued catalogs of books focused on women and it's sort of interesting to see and it's like the you know inter last month was international women uh, like celebration and there was a there was like a more focus on it i think people are listening so there's been some positive steps um i'm giving a tour at a big the london fair that happens every year the big fair is called they've renamed it called firsts and it happens in battersea at a convention hall i am not an aba dealer that's the trade association uh, but they've invited me to give a talk, and I'm giving a talk called "Book Women, awesome. Book Women, uh, Book Women, and Books by Women." And it really is about like, let's go walk around the fair and highlight some book dealers that are women, and yeah. also some of the special books you can collect by women, and talk about why it's been maybe it, why you know ways that like ways we can positively collect women's work, but also ways that historically women have been overlooked. Definitely. And I feel like everyone, if they think about all the books they've read in their life, yeah. that's uh, that's where we started our book club, yeah. like thinking like, I've read so much, but how many women do they actually yeah. read? And there's like a lot of stuff that are focused on women, but written by men. And it's, it's so horrendous. It yeah. become it, it, when it when it first I was I was a English lit major at a good program yeah. in America and I went to the University of Virginia. And when I think about the amount of women to men we read, it's a very small ratio. It and makes you like feel like like I need to do something about that. And then I became a reader, probably of primarily books by men for a long time because I was steered by literary criticism, who, which I loved reading, and like the best literary critics, mostly being critics who were men who were reading mostly books by men. And I think that there is some improvement there. And in America, we have something called VITA, which is a really cool organization that every year publishes something called the VITA Count, which looks at all the literary magazines and book review type publications and ranks how much women were written about or who wrote. And that like has actually made a huge impact on um, literary magazines. And I'm not so sure that the book criticism uh, publications have listened as much but uh it has started to correct the gender imbalance good because people they have they feel their feet to the fire yeah. and they're yeah. being aware it's just being made aware that it, it's built in exactly. yeah and having the um and having the kind of data to show that and results to show yeah. that because then you have to take accountability right. yeah. because it's literally there in front yeah. of you so I you have to take action uh last year there's a, a site called rare book hub that um 
every year publishes the top 500 most expensive rare book sales. Mm. And they do it based on auction results. So the things that sold at auction and they, um, it's just the top 500 most expensive things. And because I think of Vita all the time, I, one night I was like not sleeping and I was like, and that had just come out and I thought I'm going to count the women (laughs) on the list. And there were only nine of 500. So that tells you something that's very visible evidence of how we, how we value women in terms of like expensiveness in the rare book trade and literary history. And people immediately attacked me online because I was tweeting about it Uh, there were misogynists for a good day that were just like well women should write better (laughs) and it's like just so clear that that is not the problem (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so what's wonderful is every day now I buy books by women I not every day but like several days a week I acquire books for my store of women I've never heard of before and I look them up and sometimes they've written over a dozen books sometimes they've written three or four books some but they have really interesting lives and careers and I've never heard their name and I considered myself a really well-read really literary person with a really strong background in this stuff I have a master's in writing I read you know I read non-stop during my master's and my undergraduate I read non-stop in my life and it was just shocking to me how many writers, and partly I'm American, so British writers don't cross the pond as much, and other like English language writers don't cross like the pond as much. Yeah. But I was just, I'm just daily surprised. But like the surprise is a mix of like excitement of getting to discover a woman, yes. but also okay. disappointment because it's like, why, ha- why is yeah. this? Yes, yeah, enriching yeah. because you're yeah. still learning with all your kind of experience yeah. in, in, you know, and yeah. knowledge. Yeah, but yeah, just like. Oh, yeah yeah like if you don't know know this person who does right but there's so many women right now um i think doing really interesting thing with like there sort of seems to be also a reemergence of feminist bookstores like mine and other there's another uh pages of hackney which is an independent bookstore just opened a all women new bookstore and they said their inspiration was like like four bookstores that historically and then newly the second shelf and I thought oh my gosh it's like amazing yeah and it's very nice that um it's already things are happening so quickly and then also um Silver Press just started an imprint in London that is republishing writers like Nell Dunn who's like a writer I had never heard of until I I moved here yeah we have some of her signed first editions in the store I'm gonna talk to you about her because um she's the lady who primarily writes about working class yeah. women like during the 1960s they were called kitchen sink novels yeah. yeah but i didn't in america they just, they just haven't like i think they did get published there but they we don't really know her very well and then um the other press i'll mention is because we do events um helping relaunch they're reissuing books as handheld press is run by kate mcdonald and she uh she's it's funny but each time we've had books in the store by the women she's republishing so one is rose mccauley and she just republished a science fiction novel um of rose mccauley's that we have for sale as a new copy and we had a first edition that sold and then she's we're doing an event to launch a book by inez holden inez holden wrote 10 books and i actually before i knew kate and this press she's started have a copy of her first novel and i can't find it but it's the only copy available for sale and um but she's reissuing another book, two books as one. She's issuing two of her books. But she was she's known primarily as associated with George Orwell. That's like what she's known for. She wrote tw- ten books. So that's what okay. like. No, no, uh, the yeah. thing you should know her for is that she wrote ten, ten books. books. Exactly. I mean, she was all she was apparently a really well liked like sort of high 
um, profile figure of the George Orwell group of people who were writing and people loved her and wrote about her and memorialized her but like nothing stayed in print and no one is talking about her books now so it's really great that places like handheld are reissuing their book her books and like we'll have a we'll have an event here and what we do is we pair the the first editions with the new books so people can see the you know the originals and also purchase one for a a smaller amount of money amazing so they can actually read yeah what else um, uh, you graduated <laughs> with a degree in english literature as you said yeah. and archaeology also i did before going on to becoming a writer editor critic and web book dealer uh so how did your all all your prior experiences help when it came to opening the second shelf yeah and what were some of, of the challenges you came up with uh came up against like founding or uh well not when rent prices because obviously yeah. you said you got something cool or like book selling experience or whatever yeah. challenge um i mean i think bookstores are challenging i've never run a bookstore before i've worked in bookshops before um i was a publicist for a bookshop i love called community bookstore in brooklyn it's the oldest uh continually operated bookstore oh, yes. in brooklyn Do they on have 7th tiny avenue the cat? they have tiny the cat yeah big mean cat actually he's my mortal That's enemy so <laughs> my mortal enemy tiny no he's a, he's a, quite a famous literary bookstore cat um and he knows it <laughs> i guess that's <laughs> but um i saw as their publicist for a while uh, before i moved here and i also worked in a bookstore that it was a famous independent bookstore in minneapolis right after i graduated college i lived in minneapolis for a couple years and i um, worked at ruminator books which had been hungry mind and it closed over a decade ago but um so i've always been a bookseller just of new books and i've also i think the archaeology comes in uh, background in that I actually wanted to be I was a professional archaeologist I got paid to be an archaeologist after my degree and I did freelance work after in college and after college that paid the bills but there is an act of explore of uncovering exploration and excavation that um, that that definitely happens with finding rare books and it's not necessarily a physical act of actually digging in the ground but there is a kind of built-in I think um desire for me yeah. to uncover um and to dig and it it, yeah. it it now manifests itself more metaphorically or you know than like actually digging literally but, digging but i like uncovering stories and histories and i think that archaeology although more science based and research based and data driven in terms of like what you actually say about your research um it is also rooted in the idea of trying to understand what happened in history and uncovering narratives and ex understanding the past. So, um, yeah, I think it it's all a good story. Yeah. And <laughs> I just think it's who I am. I moved around a lot as a kid. And I think that like, I don't, I'm very, I'm very curious about place and I'm very curious about, uh, I think moving around. I think it's very like what made me do all of this is very rooted in who I was as a child of moving around and, um, mm. My parents having to pack up a house and get a new house and we would often have yard sales and get rid of things and go to yard sales and garage sale i don't know what the french call the those from. but like flea markets and yeah. ant antique stores brick a brick brocons and bric-a-brac stores yeah. and and uh to you know because like every house is different you need like you have it the stuff doesn't always fit for what you exactly so i think it's just like when i was little i found it quite boring right like you go to those places and you're like oh can we go but like after a while it becomes a th like just ingrained yeah. so yeah. I love 
digging, the more you digging go, for stuff. The more you, you get better yeah. at finding good deals. Speaking of which, this is a good time you wanted to hear my Paris story. Yeah. So my one of my best finds um, is a rare book dealer is at the Bouganese stalls along the uh, Seine. Yeah. Um, I... Uh, they're considered to be like once sort of a wonderful I think that that they're very touristy now right there's a yes. lot of stuff that's not books there's magnets and Definitely. prints and I think that people maybe don't realize that there are still treasures to be found in them but um and there are some like obscure writers and I think some of them it's still a mix it's a mix in some of them it's like fake fake stuff. old ones and, yeah. and it's, it's become touristic but yeah I bet you can find some so stuff. So I found a uh, the only I found a Rebecca West novel, um, that was an English for uh, American. Oh, sorry, an English the the first edition, the first English edition. Um, uh, and um, it was signed and it had a very long wow. inscription, and I paid twenty five euro for it, and I sold it. Wow. Um, I sold it, and it was worth more. It was worth a lot more. I, I believe in the value of what I sold it for, but it was worth. Um, I put. What's funny is we put a, d- a amount on it of nine hundred uh, pounds when we brought it back because it was signed to a woman named Rosalie, whose last name I'm gonna forget, but she was a Portuguese, like now lost history of a Portuguese suffragette feminist dance like just like a cool Portuguese woman who like had all of these various lives and um we think that um they had like a friendship and it was a really beautiful inscription um about inspiration and like we think maybe that Rebecca West was inspired one of the characters in the novels maybe inspired by this woman um and so and it was the only signed copy of that book available and so we sold it to a collector and um we actually ended up selling it for more because one day Pema who works as a bookseller here uh, Pema Monahan she's a wonderful uh modern literature expert and academic she started researching it and she's like I think we should it's worth more Allison so she she without even telling me Jack she told me later I put the price up and it was like, so we put 1600 on it and we sold it. And she sold it, actually. She sold it, not me. But wow. But that was the 25 euro. Yeah. What a story. Yeah. yeah. In Paris. A- in Paris. Yeah. And I love, you know, I won't, there's no place I don't look. I think the point is those are the great places to find books because I think that maybe that, you know, that bookseller didn't, they probably bought that book for very little if they sold it for 25 yeah, euros and they didn't know what it was, exactly. but we did many hours of research on it between the two of us. And, uh, yeah, that's the work of it that adds the value because you uncover the stories and the story is what makes the book sort of an object of history. It looks like such an adventure to do your job. <laughs> it's like tiring. Like it's definitely archaeology <laughs> in some ways. <laughs> like I can see the links clearly now. Um, uh, yes, um, I just um, just very quickly the look and feel of the bookshop obviously yeah. goes very very well with the books that you're selling. Sure. Um, what was the property used for before? How much did you have to change to kind of give it the current look and feel? Sure. Um, and how, how did you do that? Uh, well, I did it in one month. So we signed the lease October 20th and we, uh, October 18th. And we, whoa, whoa yeah. And we, I uh, mean, I don't know. I had, um, uh, I had a person who's actually moved back to Texas was helping me launch the business. And um, she would come in the morning and like sort of oversee some of the workers who were in the space when I couldn't be here. 
um, uh, early in the morning when I was like taking care, care of my kid and getting him to school and stuff. And I would meet her here, but, um, she, uh, so what, the way we did it was, um, very quickly and I was very lucky. I found, so I found the space because someone emailed me, a real estate agent emailed me and offered me, um, the space and said they wanted a bookshop. So they were willing to give a rent break for the first year. And I didn't think it was a real email. And then I showed, I really didn't. I thought it was spam. It just was like, this is out of the blue. I don't have, why are they asking me? Like, I just thought, who, how do they know who I am? Um, too good to be true. It just didn't feel real. And then I like followed up on it and came and saw the space. It was a raw space. It had nothing here that you see. Um, it was a concrete floor and drywall walls and they didn't even have electrical sockets, which is why I have the, the one, the one thing I'd change about the store if I could, but I can't is this white piping everywhere because we couldn't actually bury the electrical. So I'm still plotting on how to cover it up a bit. Um, but yeah, we have uh, essentially. I had to get approval on everything in here from the real estate, uh, the landlord, and he pushed back. I wanted pink everything. I really wanted like a <laughs> wanted pink, 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 um, and it would have been really tasteful. But I really wanted to sort of go against the grain with not because pink is stereotype like a, a girl color. But my designer, she, my designer who I work with freelance, her name is Neela Wellens, and she really pushed me to feminize a bit the color scheme of my shop designed for my magazine that I was working. I have a magazine that is a part of the business, and um, I, I always thought I wanted, like, rare books but punk, and I was like, how can I, how can I sort of... Yeah, and and what ended up being is like, well, the punk thing to do is like, do you ever walk in a rare book shop and see pink? No, you just don't. So, but I, but the problem was the landlord actually like didn't. He was afraid of pink, so I had to fight for my exterior color. I love your choice of he was afraid of pink. (laughs) (laughs) It was a compromise what we got away with. So they approved my shelves, no problem. I had a wonderful designer build them. Um, and I got lucky on the timing of it so that we could get open and he was willing to fit my schedule. And then we chose this red color. That's our exterior color. It's called, it's funny. It's called eating room red and it's Pharaoh and ball. And they, all of the buildings that our neighbors are painted in Pharaoh and ball colors. And, um, I actually consider it, um, in my head, it's like eating room red, but I consider it like eat men like air red. Yeah. Uh, like, <laughs> because I had to fight so hard for the color pink. So my my thing was I found this paper last minute um, from a salvage company called really Retrovius. Like really and they sell a lot of like, they sell them like their, my library cart comes from them. My ladder comes from, uh, I've just actually that, that ladder, but I'm getting a ladder from them because my ladder is getting, falling apart. Um, they're a company that like basically like finds old things to repurpose them. And they found these end pages. These are antiquarian end pages and there are four colors of them of marble paper that you would see in old books and so totally aligned with I bought all of them up before I even signed the lease taking a risk that I would need them and I use it for gift wrap and I use it for the walls and we um, are going to maybe even print some books with the covers like our own little we're going to do an edition of we have yellow a stock of yellow of this paper and I want to do a small edition of the yellow wallpaper so um, by Charlotte thought. Perkins Gilman to sell at the oh, shop my. But that might not happen for a bit because I'm busy, but um, I'm saving it for that. And uh, yeah, the pink floor was a battle, but it was, I think they're pleased with the aesthetics of the store. And I think that the thing is, is that in a way it does look like an antiquarian bookstore in that it's a bit like overflowing and it's a bit 
it's a bit like the old pages of the walls don't look they're not particularly different from what you would feel in like an old shop but like the pink kind of freshens it up and I've tried to do pops of hot pink where I can so my kettle and the shell and some other shelves some of our facing out shelves and boxes and things any place I could find an object that was pink even my broom is pink perfect Um, and so that's the way I tried to balance it. And, um, yeah. and yeah, and like just, I just didn't, you know, there's a, the rare bookshops are wonderful. I love them because I love rare books, but they can feel they're meant to attract, a, a I, I believe, a, a certain clientele with a certain amount of money. And mm-hmm. the way that, so there's a museum-esque quality to them that doesn't feel, I mean, also they have very valuable books that are very delicate. So they do need sometimes to be behind glass or in a yeah. case. And my feeling was that, like, I'm not going to be able to invite a new clientele of readers to become collectors if they feel like things are untouchable. Definitely. And, like, so even though people do sometimes freak out about a book I hand them, and I'm like, be careful. I don't say be careful, but I I want everyone to touch anything they want. And so I work really hard on that. So we do have some books that are in a case that's behind glass, but it's a case we open up all the time and we hand our expensive stuff out and say, this is what it is. And people ooh and ah. But like typically most of our books are mixed in except for a few more expensive things. Um, And like having the the book in your hands is that extra step you know yeah. towards like buying I mean before we started recording you know you were generously letting us just look all over your shelves and yeah we were pu- pulling out things yeah. obviously being respectful but um yeah yep. it's not there isn't that precious I mean, there, element so there's a there's a risk and there have definitely been a, some damage to books but I feel like that oh, yeah. even happens in all and not 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 often and I think it happens in all the bookstores even the ones that like it's just like a part of it is that these are objects that are made of paper and yeah. <laughs> some but of I them are like old as a guest you really feel privileged when you get to like touch these books and yeah. just like grab them from yeah definitely yeah. so so the shop was really it came together very quickly but um i had already worked through a lot of the brand because uh, i f- had a kickstarter i didn't know i was opening a bookshop but i had planned on opening a web store which is still coming yes. it's coming very soon we, we've photographed books we have the first amount of books to put on we're just working out like some like really boring details of how to charge for shipping of and course. getting yeah. it all well t- it, it's a little all of it's like new to me so um and I want to make sure that like uh yeah I do it right so I never I'm a bit of a stickler for getting things perfect in the web the website right now I consider in beta but um yeah so we're working on the design and uh but I had branded that and we had decided to focus on like trying to freshen up like marbled antiquarian paper and make it look like like I said like kind of punk and so we digitized it and like put pink colors in it and stuff like that so all of that's in our branding so like I already had the idea of like making this thing like it wasn't going to be necessarily a brick and mortar store but I was it was it was the only reason I got to do it so quickly is because I had already given a lot of thought to like this idea of it and what the idea of it would be not even knowing it would be a real thing and had I not done that work I don't think I would have successfully been open able to do it so quickly no yeah yeah and I had all of the support, which I think is something else that, like, really made a difference because, in a way, I felt like I didn't want, like, I had all these people going, yes, yes, yes. Like, they had just funded my Kickstarter. Oh, and then great. I was like, oh, my gosh, I might open a bookstore. And they were so following along on social media and cheering me on. And I think that I don't know if I would have been brave enough without 
feeling like that. Of course, of course. I mean, they were just, everyone was just really supportive and wonderful. I mean, there was a dark side of it. There were people out there saying, like, why do you, I mean, there were, there. Of I mean, course. in feminist conversations, there's always people who have disagreements. But um, in a way, that also stimulated my eagerness to do yeah. it. Yeah. I think both things, the negativity and the positivity, really, like, got me, because actually I hadn't had any rest. The Kickstarter, like, I hadn't, the business has, it's just like you guys with your, with your podcast and your, uh, you know, uh, group that, uh, yeah, it happens really fast and organically. And I think that you fear that if you don't harness it as it's like growing, that you will lose that momentum. Exactly. So it was really a rush, um, and a good thing, but like now I'm sort of like trying to, um, I'm doing some, I think, uh, catch up on the fact that like, I sort of like launched a business without proper like administrative practices I had to get a bookkeeper we're working with a you know an accountant all of that stuff is the stuff that like I don't have a lot of experience with and that's the challenge for me is like to make sure that the business becomes um a little more yeah a step like proper yeah, yeah well done <laughs> like for now well done oh thanks yeah. really really it feels like a dream I I didn't even understand stand where I was in London we're in central London here in Soho in a little hidden courtyard you asked me about the history of the courtyard I have no idea what was here before actually I don't think any business was here I think that there were some small re- retail businesses but they all kind of went out of business because there wasn't a real plan for the courtyard and so they were renting out spaces and not really so there was like a bead shop here that went away and there were a couple other spaces something there was some office here maybe mm-hmm. but the um the history of the the courtyard is even obscure but they there it's called farrier's passage and the ideas in soho a lot of these these nooks were housing for um in like the victorian era and before for um men who worked with horses and like pulled the carriages and stuff mm. so this might have been living quarters yeah. for horses and and that's what they think, but I'm not sure when they actually started to, I, I know they did a, a recent redevelopment to try to, so they've like purposefully planned it, but I don't know what the history of Smith's Court is or if it's even a real you thing. You need to dig into this yeah. then. I've tried. <laughs> For the moment, it's a nice idea. It's yes. Like a nice hour of mystery. What I like is people um, like purposefully come to find the bookstore. They know it's like, I've been very vocal. It's kind of hidden, but it's central. And yeah, so like they have nice. to go on a little adventure and that's yeah. a fun thing to do with a bookshop. Exactly, exactly. So you've kind of talked us through some of the challenges like admin and good business practice. And you've also touched on some of the positive in regards to moral support from the community, which really kind of helped you on and even like finding the positive in the negative criticisms. Um, It is still recent for you. Yes, uh, it's very new. Since you've been open, it still must feel very new. Um, What would some of your favorite parts of running the bookstore um be for you whether it's kind of like meeting new dealers or you know just what what do you love I mean I think the main thing is is the customer interaction and getting to talk about these women writers and most of the books we sell are I mean we also sell books but with women illustrators and women artists but like we primarily are a bookshop of literature and you know, having uh, we've had people come up uh, who knew about us who've stepped off the plane from Ghana and arrive and say, I want to see, you know, works by, you know, um, African women and we're able to show them some. And like sometimes we don't have everything everyone wants, but we work really hard to have a diverse stock and like make sure that people know that we are working to be accessible and diverse and um, intersectional and to the degree that I can find the books it can be challenging often it's funny but like the things that are um, considered um, 
more um, like with a minority, what have been considered minority interests, which is really annoying because I don't think of it that way. <laughs> but like, um, you know, we have a lot of people come in and say, I'd, I'd love to see what you have, you know, that's lesbian like literature not that I consider not that they consider it lesbian literature or whatever but like you know like there's there's hard it's hard to find collectible books like sometimes from these from places and different backgrounds and interests yeah. and people see the second shelf as a place to come and discover writers with with that are different than you would see at a book fair or and like get a good copy of that to keep and so it's working people come and you know buy yeah from all over and they show up and say you know what do you have by you know and and a lot of Jane Austen Austen <laughs> like people come and want their classic you know book yeah, and so you, I try to have you've got the crowd pleasers you know like uh, yeah uh, well and all I the, think all the best the constant bestsellers yeah um and so just you know uh, we talk a lot about our favorites in the store and we also get the opportunity just like in a new bookstore to hand sell books to people um and we get to talk about like what's your budget or they're buying birthday presents and they say my my person's favorite my partner's favorite writer is is um uh you know colette can i what what do you have and we pull out what we have it's and so nice because it's different from like by going to a regular bookshop and buying like regular books yeah. it's it's so much so much more special in 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 just the fact that it has history yeah. behind it. Well, and we try to have all price points so you can buy everything here from a collectible first printing of a penguin paperback which are those vintage like orange covered paperbacks and we all yeah. we're they're 6 6 pounds and um, some of them would be worth more because they're scarcer, but we keep them at six. And Which it, I think is great because it's really yeah. aligned with your accessibility. Right. Uh, and if you're strategy. on a budget, you could pick three titles of those and wrap them up. And it's yeah. under 20, right? That's awesome. Um, and, and then... And it's awesome present. And then we gift wrap it in antiquarian paper and put a bookmark with our manifesto on it, which is like yeah. to remind people to collect books by women. So I just think that that whole th engagement and the fact that people seek it out is like such a uplifting uh and it's more uplifting than I can say like because I think that I also came from a place when I moved I moved here six weeks before Brexit and um it was a real I didn't even know Brexit ex existed as a possibility when I moved here six <laughs> weeks before Brexit. No one was talking about it as like I I learned pretty quickly once I got here. I was like, what are all these like remain stickers that people are wearing? Yeah. There were a few people p like telling us what it was on the street corners, and I was like learning as it got closer. But like, so well, we had also um, had Trump running for office, and I just think that um, so much had happened with Me Too and this this i as soon as brexit went through i thought oh my god trump has a chance of being elected and that's and then like then harvey weinstein came out and all of this stuff and i think that like i've just everyone has ha had to pull themselves up from being in a pretty negative space yeah. right and what are we going to do and the environment's in trouble and i just it's really nice to have transitioned from being a writer mostly of book reviews and I still do it and I profile writers but like a lot of the pieces I wrote were wonderful literary history pieces but they weren't going to change the world and I'm not saying I'm changing the world now but you're but, doing your bite but I feel that what I'm doing is getting to do the work I liked before I still get to write and do the and do the pieces I want to write and um, profile and book review um, but the act of putting these books in people's hands is is actually a much more 
it feels like oh it takes away from like sort of like the agony of not knowing what to do because it, yes. people are excited and feel good about it and like I think we need that and especially feminism can even feel like a drain sometimes because it's such a fight yeah and it's like but what to start what to do and so yeah. anything you do to to bring women on the stage and and, and to be sharing that Exactly. There's so much feminist debate within feminism and there's so much, you know, there's just a lot of stuff that like feels quite like a fight. Exactly. And I really work hard to make my store a contrast to that. Not to say that there's not conflict, but, um, you know, a lot of it is, most of it is quite, actually there hasn't been that. We did have one heckler on our first night of reading that was like had purposely walked by to yell at us about being... A woman's bookstore and we had to close the door and that was really horrible and it oh. felt threatening um so we do have like we do have like the anti-woman thing happening but like for the most part the experience has been super positive and it's both genders all genders of people coming in of and being course. really excited men come in and buy they're really excited they're eager to hear um, a lot of them of course love books and we read want books them by women in, we want them in the story also so well, i think it's it's so great. Yeah. yeah. So things have been, and then like also just talking about um, the writers that we love. I think in the rare book trade, again, there's like sort of a high. There's sort of a very small group of women that are collectible. Um, it feels like there's like the the just. It's like really limited. It's it's great writers. They're all amazing and should be collectible. It's like Mary Shelley, Jane Austen, the Brontes, Agatha Christie, who's the pop sort of the popular and then Sylvia Plath those are like the expensive and then uh, there's some medieval texts like Christian de de Pizan the who who was an Italian feminist from like the 17th century but she's collectible really because in a way I mean I think she'd be very expensive but she's the William Caxton like early printing history so it's like the man who printed her his books are the very expensive English books to collect and um so you know I just think that because of that um that those five women or six women can't represent all of women's contributions to art and literature. Yeah. And it's a very narrow, they're all English, ex- you know, for the most part, except for um, our Italian medieval woman. And <laughs> they're all um, white. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that just seems like not enough. Whereas then. <laughs> but at the same time all women writers are kind of treated not quite as well as male contemporaries so there's a a so right or jk rowling to get who was encouraged to drop her name layers of uh, of issues within like it's important just to be obviously um globally supportive um, but there's also a bit of work to be done to, as you are doing, to bring the lesser known up so that there is well Well, I think that that's the thing is to say that like for all of the lack of attention the mainstream women writers get that are sort of like skirting literary canonization or taught in school or like a part of it to like more like stable in the literary conversation, think about what it means for like writers from different countries who are not white it just like they that's the third shelf and I think Meg Wolitzer actually refers like to the the idea of if you're a woman of color then it's the third shelf and I think that that immediately has always been a part of my hope is that we can get books from all over 
from all over collected by women and, and also like get their names back out there. So, yeah. That sounds like a fantastic mission. You yeah. just you too, guys. Into. You're doing yeah. it too. We're, we're colleagues. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're, we're just together. like have a bubble bath of books. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. You're welcome. Uh, for welcoming us in your bookshop. We can't wait to hang around in yeah. Paris together. It'll be great. Yeah, we'll come. kind of publishing houses that are doing great work and giving us some new authors and new ideas as sure. well to, to go yeah. and dig up yeah. um, and yeah. familiarize ourselves with. It's we can very only exciting. Wish you to well, so many people are doing it and, you know, they're d everyone. there's a lot of women doing their part and they're all, like, yeah. that's the thing. It's like, but, like sometimes we do just need, we where are the good acts happening? Where are the, where are the positive steps being made yeah. and getting the support behind them because it feels much better than being depressed about the state of things. Definitely. And we need to give visibility to this type of amazing art projects uh, of all kinds. So we can only wish you to thank you have a successful bookshop going on, but it's it's amazing already. Yeah, so thank cool. you, thank you, thank you very much. Thanks.